Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hune. Our mission is to help you gain your freedom from the exhausting, never-ending corporate rat race. Because time is our most valuable asset. And life's just too short to do work we hate. Thanks for slowing down. All right, welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast, everyone. Today, I'm really excited to, to have my guest. His name is Jeremy Scher. And just a good dude. I mean, we just spent the last 15 or so minutes just talking about football. He's like a, a guy that I've met on LinkedIn and never actually met in person and shook his hand. But I feel like I'd have a great time sitting down having a beer with him. Yeah. So um, super excited for this conversation, man. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting about your story and when we talked previously about is about how, you know, this show is all about it's it's called Affordable Freedom, right? So it's all about like leaving the corporate grind and, and taking control over your life and, and having more freedom. And you started off with that, like yeah. you were doing freelancing work and like you had all the freedom and autonomy in the world. And then you decided to go into the corporate world to check out that, you know, that world and see what that structure was like. And you decided to leave and go back to now entrepreneurship and run your own business. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more about your journey. Uh, so Thanks for coming on, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Um, and like you said, just before we started recording, we could just talk about football this entire time, but we'll save that for another show. I'd love to just kind of hear your story about where you've been, where you are today, and what that all looked like. So can I, can I open up with just that vague of a question? Yeah, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so maybe I'll start with kind of how you teed it up, right? As you said... I was a free, I was a freelancer and had all the freedom that that entails, then wound up in the corporate world for about five years. And now I'm back to not a freelancer, but running a business, doing my own thing. So I can kind of start in the before time when I was doing my freelance thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, I mean, I guess just to go a little bit back before then, until my early forties, I never had what I guess we would call just like a regular job, you know, where you just show up to a building and sit down and do the things people give you to do and get a paycheck. I was always kind of doing my own thing. So I uh, got a PhD in English literature at Indiana University, which is what brought me to where I live, to Bloomington, Indiana. And, you know, being a grad student, it's, uh, it's kind of like taking a voluntary vow of poverty as you pursue this degree where there's no job waiting at the end. Um, and it's just a total grind. Um, and hearing myself talk about it that way, I'm like, why did I do that again? What compelled me to throw myself into that? But I did. And along the way, because like I said, it's kind of a voluntary vow of poverty. I mean, you get paid a little bit to teach and all that. I, I started doing some freelance writing along the way because I'd always wanted to be a writer. I just, I'd always been pretty good at it naturally. And so I just kind of started that as a side thing to make a little extra cash. And then by the time I got my degree, I had enough freelance writing work of all different sorts, some of it journalism, some of it kind of more marketing, uh, that I kind of, I was making some money at it. And because the academic job market is just a total horror show, like no jobs waiting for you for sure. Like you have to go on the market and maybe get a job somewhere, anywhere, 
you can find it and move there. I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. Like, let me take at least a year, see if I can make a living as a freelance writer. And I did that and I did it for like 12 years. So the answer was, yeah, I can make a living at this. And I just hodgepodge together a whole bunch of different gigs, one of which was writing for some radio shows and which matters because that's kind of what eventually led me to get into doing what I'm doing today, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I started writing for these radio shows. Um, that led to opportunities to be on the radio and to produce radio segments. And I'm also a musician and kind of a songwriter, and I record a lot of music, not really professionally, just mostly for fun, but still I have like a home studio. So I know how to record audio and work with it. So it's kind of a natural thing for me to be able to do. And so for a, like a solid 12 years, that's how I made my living as a writer, a freelance writer, which was great in many ways, but it wasn't really like running a business. Technically it was insofar as I did stuff and people paid me for it. You know, I guess that's a business, yeah. but it, it, I just sort of cobbled together gigs. I didn't, I wasn't, never did any marketing. You know, there was no sales involved. It was just me. So I was always kind of living with this slight anxiety of like, well, what if this dries up? You know, what if I lose some of these gigs I have? Which of course, inevitably that happened. And I had a good run. And then I lost some of these gigs. So suddenly my income was like cut in half. And right around the same time, my wife, she's an architect and she had been working at a firm here in Bloomington. And she and two of her colleagues right around the same time decided they wanted to start their own firm. So embark on their own entrepreneurial journey, which suddenly meant basically, hey, we don't have any health insurance because we were depending on hers. And so mm. for the first time in my life, in my early 40s, I'm like, I'm going to get a job. And so I did. I got a job as a copywriter at a medical device company, a large multinational medical device company that happens to have their headquarters right here in Bloomington. And I was completely open to the experience. I was a little wary of it, not so much because I was like, well, I can never work for anyone else or I have to do my own thing. It was more, I'd just never done it before. And so I just didn't know what it would be like. And I took this job and for the first little while, I was actually very pleasantly surprised. There was a lot to be said for getting a paycheck and having these benefits. And it's no longer all on me to generate all my income. I can just show up and they'll give me projects and things. Okay. And the, there were some nice people. And, you know, at least during this kind of honeymoon period, there's a lot to learn and it's kind of exciting and even better. One of the first things that kind of happened there was that there was a lot of talk about maybe we should do a, a, an internal podcast because we have hundreds of salespeople all around the United States, all around the world, and they had been asking for something like a podcast so they could learn from each other. And the idea would be that the host of the show would interview salespeople and asked them, like, how do you do your thing? You know, how do you sell? How do you overcome objections? And so on. And that way, when folks are in their cars driving all around to their territory, spending hours and hours behind the windshield, they can listen to this stuff and learn. 
Mm-hmm. And that struck me. I was like, well, what a perfectly great idea. You know, because I'd never been in the corporate world before, I, it had never occurred to me that podcasting could be like a business communication tool, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was like, everything's aligning. I raised my hand. I'm like, I can do that. I'm an audio producer. And they were like, okay, cool. And I kind of envisioned like, this is going to be my thing at this company. I'm going to start this podcast and it's going to be awesome. And we're going to build out a whole like audio division and I'll be in charge of it. You know, I kind of started unspooling this in my mind and getting kind of excited. Long story short, never happened. The company, another, what I quickly learned about at least this company, but I suspect that it can, that it's similar in a lot of large corporations is that there can be a lot of lip service paid to like, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, we really encourage people here to follow their passions and do their things, but it ends up being a lot of lip service and it just never happened. You know, a large company, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of kind of layers of management and ended up being very frustrating for me, but I'm glad it happened because the idea stuck with me. It just seemed like a no brainer, you know, and people were literally asking for it. So I thought, okay, well, if this company isn't going to pursue it, I bet there might be some other companies out in the world that would see value in this kind of thing. It's, it seemed like a business idea, you know? And so I just started looking around and getting on LinkedIn, just getting on Google, like, are other companies doing this? Well, yeah, other companies, a few are doing, and this was already like seven years ago. So there were many fewer that are doing it today, but still there was some, and I just started learning about it and started without any real sophisticated plan, just got on LinkedIn and started connecting with people and kind of saying, Hey, is this something you might be interested in? And I started getting a little traction. And I learned it was actually not so much for an internal podcasting idea. It was more for marketing. I ended up, I found myself talking to like B2B marketing people who were interested in podcasting. And there were some companies out there offering those services. And I thought I could do this. And I started doing it again, just kind of freelance little projects here. A company there started producing their podcast and It got to the point, I ended up being at this job for five years, probably four years too long, maybe even four and a half years too long. But anyway, it got to the point where that's mostly what I was spending my time on was my side gig podcasting business, because that's what was happening. And there just wasn't that much for me to do day to day at this large company. And I Mm -hmm. didn't really seek out extra things to do because it was boring and whatever. And so at a certain point, I kept asking myself, okay, am I going to do this podcasting thing for real? Do I want to do it as a real business or do I just want to make a little extra money? And it was kind of a tough question because, yeah, in an ideal world, it would be awesome to like start this business and be on my own again. But it was a little scary because we still needed the health insurance. And, you know, the job I was at was kind of boring. And there are many, in many ways, like a typical corporate job. I didn't like love it or anything, but it also wasn't like so bad that I could not stomach ever going there again. You know, there was a lot of Mm -hmm. times when I 
felt myself wishing it was worse, that I had no choice and I just had to leave or, you know, but that wasn't really the case. And it's not so easy to just walk away from benefits and a steady paycheck, right? Like a lot of, you know, yeah. like a lot of people who've thought about starting a business, it's like the biggest barrier is the mental one. Like, what if it doesn't work? Yeah. What then? What if I fail? I had the benefit of having done freelance before, like we talked about. So at least I had some sense of like, well, I know I can, I have done it before. I can probably do it again, but still, you know, that did end too. What if I, what if it ends again and I have to find a whole new job, all this stuff. Long story short, I did end up leaving is one way to put it. I kind of had to leave. I won't tell that whole story now. Maybe that's a tale for another time, but, uh, I ended up no longer being at that job. Let's put it that way. A little bit more suddenly than I had expected that maybe I would. And so suddenly I found myself like, whoa, okay, I'm back to where I was before. We still need health insurance. Mm -hmm. And my first mindset actually was, I guess I just need to find another job now. Like that's how deeply mired in that mindset I was. And to my wife's great credit, and to my family, they were like, no, don't do it. You're doing this podcast stuff. Just keep doing that. They encouraged me. They're like, you, it wasn't a good fit for you in the corporate world, which was 100% true. The whole quiet quitting thing that, we, that we've heard about, I was probably the quietest quitter of all time. You know, the least engaged employee of all time. I just mm -hmm. did not give a damn. I mean, I did the work that was given to me, but man, it, it meant nothing to me. You know, it was just a job, just a paycheck. And it didn't, being in that corporate environment of the constant meetings and the pleasing the bosses and being on other people's schedules did not work for me at all. I really just, it's not even so much like, I don't like this. It was more like it is, I'm dysfunctional in this environment. I'm not good at this at all. You know, I never mm -hmm. pursued in the whole five years I was there. I never pursued any other opportunities like, oh, I could apply for this position that would make some more money and be like a, you know, manager or whatever, just because it's funny. Like when those opportunities would come through, like in an email, like, Hey, the following positions are open. I'd take one look at them. And my first reaction would be, I have no idea what any of these words mean. You know, like assistant, operational, whatever, manager. I'm like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. And my only thought would be like, would this mean I need to be in more meetings and actually have more responsibility? No, thank you. Don't oh, want no. <laughs> any of that at all. I just knew it in my bones. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to go anywhere in this company. The podcast thing is never going to happen. And I just am not at all engaged. So to, again, to the, to my wife and family's great credit, they were like, no, dude, just, you don't belong in that kind of place. Do your thing. And I was like, okay, all right. And that was, that was big because I, it like gave me permission to do it without feeling a ton of guilt or something. But this time I was determined to not just be a freelancer, not just cobble together some things, but to actually build a business. I wasn't 100% sure what that meant, but I knew it was different than what I'd done before. And the one thing I knew was, if I'm going to do that, 
I have to do marketing and sales. I didn't even know what that meant exactly, but I'm like, I need to spend time getting business that in a vague way I understood, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what I embarked on doing. That kind of is the journey that I traveled, you know? Yeah, I appreciate that. I've been writing a lot of things down because a lot of what you're saying is resonating with me. And um, <clears throat> like the most important thing or the biggest takeaway that I have from from listening to that is just like the level of self-awareness that you seem to have always had. You know, I, I didn't have that. Like when I was going through my corporate career, um, I, I thought like there's something wrong with me. Why am I not able to do this job and be happy and be as successful as my peers? But it was more like I simply did not fit into the nine to five culture. But I, you know, didn't again, I didn't have that self-awareness. Now, looking back on it, I'm starting to gain the self-awareness and that's helping tremendously in, in my efforts here going forward. But would you say that you always had that even like when you went into because the other thing, too, is when you went into corporate, you know, you seem to have a very balanced view about it. Um, you know, you, you said that there was an initial honeymoon period. Yeah. And I think everybody is kind of familiar with that honeymoon period, but you seem to keep that balanced outlook the whole time and just look at it as like, this is a tool. It's helping you meet your needs now. It's helping you to build a financial foundation and security that will help you ultimately do what you want to do. And that's really hard for people to do because you get emotionally invested in your your career yeah. and uh, you kind of let your emotions take over the logical thinking. So I guess I'd just like you to break down a little bit that balance sort of view. Is that more retrospective or did you have that all along? It's probably more retrospective, honestly. Okay. I honestly don't think I was very self-aware. Like insofar as that means having very clear and confident sense of like, this is who I am, you know, and these are my strengths and these are my weaknesses. And I kind of have a direction. I know exactly where I want to go. Not really. It was more intuitive. It was more like a feeling and kind of going with the flow. I mean, a lot of things for me have been like that, like going to graduate school, looking back was like, it was kind of objectively a stupid thing to do, but I just, at the time, I just kind of felt compelled to do it. You know, it was, it wasn't like a super well thought out five-year plan or something, you know, and looking back, I'm like, Ooh, if I could go back in time, I probably wouldn't do that again, but I learned valuable lessons from it, you know? So it's not like I right. totally regret it. It's more like, you know, and I learned something about myself, right? Same thing with this job. It was like, I started it cause I kind of felt that I had to. And I went into it, I would describe myself as probably very naive, if anything. I had no sense of what the corporate world would be like. And, and if anything, I was very biased against it just because being in like academia, there's this, at least in the humanities or maybe just generally, there's this kind of general attitude or sense of like, well, what we're doing is very elevated, you know, the life of the mind and beyond or outside the realm of like commerce and capitalism and all that kind of grungy, dirty stuff. And the corporate world is, you know, all about just money and greed and cretins, you know, who <laughs> just care only about, you know, m m about the profits and all that. And that was stupid. I mean, I was completely ignorant. I never worked in a company. What did I know? I didn't know anything. So when I first got in there, I was actually very pleasantly surprised 
that it didn't seem like that at all. In fact, the people seemed really nice. A lot of smart, you know, bright people. I'm like, oh, gee, there are smart people not in academia. What a revelation. And in fact, now I would say the exact opposite. Like my line in academia was a lot of the people I meet here are some of the smartest, stupid people I know <laughs> in that they know they're very intellectual. They know a lot about a very particular thing, but in many other ways, they're clueless about just life in general or like have all these attitudes and assumptions that bear very, that are ridiculous the second you step outside of that bubble. You know what I mean? Anyway, mm -hmm. I was very pleasantly surprised. I'm like, oh, people seem pretty nice here and they're intelligent and smart. And there's this whole world of, you know, of marketing that, and I'm a copywriter and like, okay, there's particular challenges there. And I had to learn all about these medical devices. Right. And that was kind of cool. I'm like this whole new world of learning and knowledge. And this is, this is cool stuff. Like the, these are, uh, catheters and, and wire guides and all kinds of very complex things that doctors use. And that's, you know, it was this whole other world opening up. So, like I said, the honeymoon period was more like, I was genuinely interested and it was genuinely interesting. And there was all kinds of stuff going on or like, oh, today we're doing a, we brought in a speaker to talk about this and we're going to do that. I'm like, oh, cool. It, it almost felt a little like summer camp, weirdly, like every day there's new activities and someone else <laughs> is in charge and I can just kind of show up. And like, there was a gym, like a really nice gym there. So I'm like, oh, I can go to the fucking gym. Hell yeah. Let's, that's cool. You know, so yeah. I went to the gym and there's like a cafeteria and this and that. So really, I was pleasantly surprised. What I was naive about was I kind of took at face value the rhetoric around like we're a flat organization and we really yeah. want you and every employee to, you know, find your path and succeed in all this. Not that they, not that it was like a bait and switch exactly. It's just that. Number one, it turns medical devices and see if I, if I had had more experience, I would have known this going in highly regulated industry. Right. And so if you're in marketing, you are very restricted in terms of what you can do literally in what you can say, the words you can say. So for a writer like me, like a copywriter, the actual work ended up being literally cutting and pasting the same shit over and over and over. Like. Hmm. A robot, like an AI could have done it if there was AI at that time. You know, you could train a high school kid to do it, really. Like that was the level at what I was doing. And I have a PhD in English at this point. You know, like I'm a fairly sophisticated writer. And I'd been a freelance journalist for like 12 years. Like, so I was, turned out I was very overqualified and the level of the work was not at all stimulating. It just took me a little time to realize that, you know? And at first there was mm -hmm. even something kind of cool, like, oh, this is low stress, man. This is easy. I don't have to think too much about it. You know, I can just kind of do it. And there was also something to be said for being part of a team. You know, it's not just me. I'm a part of this team and we all are responsible for each other and all that. But I was, again, very naive about kind of things like, well, to really succeed in this corporate world, you need to like network and build allies, you know, and 
have like a strategic plan for building your personal brand within the organization. It's I, people kind of told me that, but I didn't, that just felt very alien to me. And even if I was kind of like, well, yeah, I guess I want to succeed here. Like, and if there's opportunities to advance, that wouldn't be a bad thing. I just had no clue what that actually meant, like what it actually meant to do that. And the more that I learned the reality of that, the more I started to realize, mm, A, I don't think I can do that. That's just not me. And I mean kind of like becoming part of the old boys club kind of thing or like spending a lot of time currying favor with the right people. Mm -hmm. And that's different than building relationships, right? Like I, in my business now, it's all about building relationships. This is more about strategically like getting ahead of that person, you know, positioning myself right. on the chessboard here so I can do this. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I'm know how to do that. And I don't think I want to do that. That doesn't feel yes. to me like something I want to spend my time doing and thinking about. It just was a gut feeling, you know, it wasn't, so I didn't have any like strategy. I wasn't like, I'm going to be here for three years and then parlay that into this and go back and do this. Not at all. It was much more feeling my way through. And it was, and when it was in the early days, when it was kind of fun, I was like, Hey, this, this is pretty good. I'd go home and yeah, everything's good. But then when it wasn't and things got, and there were some bad things. Like things got kind of dark and I, I'll, I'm not ashamed to admit, like there was depression involved. Things got kind of bad where I was like, oh man, I kind of hate this, I think. And I don't think I'm a good fit here, but I don't know what else to do. I don't know. Can I just quit? I don't think so. Like, that would be irresponsible, you know, like, and so I felt kind of down and kind of trapped at a certain point and very much not self-aware of like, well, I just need to do X, Y, and Z. And I'll, you know, I was not strategic at all. It was more emotional of like, I, I'm pretty sure yeah. I'm not in the right place, but it was a lot like what you said. I'm like, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I just need to try harder or like, you know, become the kind of person who can do well here. I did. I wasn't sure what to do. Yeah. The, the more and more I, I look back on my journey through corporate, um, I think my resentment is starting to go away a little bit, you know, cause I've, I've gone from this, like, you know, fuck the corporate world. And I guess I still am like that to an extent, you know, I guess that's sort of branding and marketing. Right. Sure. But <laughs> no, um, but, but now I'm more like, I look at it, you know, with, with gratitude, you know, mm -hmm. because of all the things that I learned and, and all of the skills that I can now apply going forward. And, you know, um, I think, you know, you, you, you touched on a point where you, you got to a point where you were kind of confused. You didn't know what to do. You depression was starting to set in. And I think most people will get to that point eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that's why I think it's helpful to talk to folks that have been down this road and, and been on this journey. Cause when I look back, um, I, I would have just had a totally different mindset. You know, I would get into a comp, I would have gotten into a company and thought about, okay, there's going to be a honeymoon period to your point where you're yeah. learning a lot. It's all cool, new stuff. And like, try to extend that honeymoon period as far as possible and just stay in this mindset of like, I'm here to learn. I'm here yeah. to continue to improve my skills 
so that I can up level in the future. And it's like, now I don't resent corporate. Like I said, in the same way that I don't resent going to college. Like I don't want to stay at college my whole life. Right. Like eventually you graduate. So now I'm starting to, to use the verbiage of graduate from corporate rather than ditch corporate, you know? That's a really good way to think about it. That's super smart because yeah, even though it was not a good fit for me and there were definitely even periods of like real darkness and bad, you know, stuff. I am grateful for my time. there. It was a tremendous learning experience in all kinds of ways. You know, I learned just practically, okay, this is how it looks inside a corporation. Here's how marketing works here and doesn't work, you know, and is dysfunctional. That was all new to me. Um, here's just how a company is kind of put together, you know, in a way I learned a lot about myself, my strengths and weaknesses. I learned the hard way, but I know a lot more about myself now than I did without that experience. And I can say carrying on that having now started a business and, and doing that, that has carried on that learning in a tremendous way, but that's a little off the topic. Um, so I'm not, yeah, I'm not. I don't look back at it as like, oh, fuck those people or like, you know, I hope they burn to the ground or whatever. I'm like, no, they're doing their thing. They have their own challenges and problems, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful that when I needed a job, that opportunity was available and it, it did for me what it needed to do. And if I'm ever in that situation again, now I know I could be more strategic about it, right? Like if I could go back in time. I would have that attitude, kind of what you just described. I, I'd have more of a plan of like, okay, look, ideally what I want to do is be able to do my own thing because I now know that's what I'm best suited for. That's where I tend to, to do my best work, right? So I'll use this opportunity as an experience to learn things that'll help me three, four years, whatever down the road, be better equipped to start my own business, right? So I'll find my way in this company, learn what I need to learn, get the most out of it, minimize the bad stuff. And then when the time is right, it's not, this isn't jail. I can leave. Yeah. You know, that's right. And yeah. I just, I wasn't able to do that going in because I had no, I didn't have the experience I had now. So I don't look back and, and think like, oh, come on, Jeremy, you fucking idiot. Like you, you screwed it up. It's like, nope, that's just how it had to go. And I learned a lot. And I'd say I have gained much more self-awareness, not total self-awareness or anything. I'm no like Zen master, you know, <laughs> but it's, I'm, I'm much more self-aware than I was and just have a better sense at the very least of like where my strengths and weaknesses lie, which is very valuable. It is. It is. I was just having a conversation yesterday with a friend, you know, Lyle, right? Lyle head. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were having a conversation because um, we always talk about self-awareness and how important it is. And it's like, we think of it as this destination. You're going to get to a point where all of a sudden now you're self-aware. Well, we're evolving every day as a person. It's this non nonstop journey of yep. trying to become more self-aware. So um, I want to touch on one thing real quick, and then I want to start talking a little bit about podcasting. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned when you were freelancing, you didn't do any sales or marketing. Yeah. You just, it was, you were doing projects and it was word of mouth. Whereas when you were running a business, now, now that you're running a business, you're 
learning and appreciating more the sales and marketing yeah. side of doing that. So what did what did that look like? Like when you were freelancing, mm-hmm. how did you get like your first client in order to get that word of mouth so, versus what you're doing now? Yeah. So so the first gig that I got, I was a grad student as I described, and I think an email came in my inbox for local there's, we have a, a local public radio station, like a lot of universities do, you know, local public radio. And they had a show there. It was called A Moment of Science, and they were looking for writers. And I thought, so I checked out the show online. I was like, ah, oh, this looks kind of fun. I don't know anything about science, really, but I am a writer. I bet I could do it. So I wrote in and applied. They had me do like a little sample thing, and boom, they're like, okay, you're a writer on the show. And I was like, cool. And it was just kind of that simple. So I did that for a little while and then word kind of gets around, you know? So like when people are like at the university, I use this big, huge university, right? And so there's all kinds of opportunities for and needs for like writing of various kinds. And people tend to ask around, right? Do you know anyone who's good at this? Do you know anyone who can write this? And my name was getting out there a little bit. And so I started to get some inquiries from another part of the university, let's say, for, hey, we have a magazine we put out once a semester. Are you interested? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So I started getting a bunch of that stuff. And then I would be a little proactive and maybe see like, oh, there's another, this other part of the school also has a magazine. I guess I'll email the editor of it and just say, you know, I write for this other thing. Do you need any writers? Yeah, we do. Okay. Now I'm this. There was a, a, a someone started a local magazine here in Bloomington called Bloom and still around today. And I introduced myself. I'm like, hey, I'm a writer. Here are some samples. And so I did a little outreach, you know, Okay. but it was mainly word of mouth. And again, it's because that's how people tend to find writers. They'll ask around. You know, and if you're good and I'm a pretty good writer, like I, I know how to do that stuff. And it's actually a lot harder to find like professional level writers than you might think. If you're not, if you don't already know, you can find a lot of people who call themselves writers, but they're not, they don't actually, they can't deliver in the way that you need them to like at the, on that professional level. And I was that I have that skill. And so yeah, people work tends to find you when you have that, that kind of. Um, and so, and I was also fortunate in that for a lot of freelance writers, you just get like, you go from gig to gig, like one piece at a time. I got a couple, like three things that were permanent, almost semi-permanent. So writing for this one radio show, Moment of Science. Then I got a gig on another radio show called Sound Medicine produced up in Indianapolis. And I became a producer on that show. So I was technically a freelancer, but it was like a semi-regular job, you know, remotely. And I had a couple other things like that. So that was both good and bad in that it meant I had kind of these semi-permanent things, but it kind of lulled me into a place where like, well, I don't have to market myself. I have steady work until I didn't, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then, so contrast that to now with the business that you're running and your, you know, uh, your, your efforts to build your business. Yeah. I mean, it pretty much most of what I do is marketing and sales, you know, and I had just enough knowledge to kind of understand at the outset that 
that's what I needed to do if I was going to make it different than just being a freelancer. I didn't know what that would look like or how to do. So I did what most people do, I guess. You know, I read some books. I got on LinkedIn and I'm like, well, in some very basic way, I need to let people know what I do and find people who might be willing to pay me to do it. Like that's, you know, as basic as you can get, but okay. And I tried all kinds of different things. Um, one of them was starting a podcast and I thought, okay, if, if I need to talk to people who might need my services, I need to find some way to get them to talk to me. So mm -hmm. oh, it, it dawned and like, this wasn't my original idea. I, I think I read a book or there was some, like another company in my space, B2B podcasting that basically was doing exactly this. So that's another thing I did. I looked at other companies doing what I did and basically copied them starting out. You know, it meant that what I was doing was pretty much a copy, not, not much original there, but at least early on that kind of worked, you know, at least I had some thing to aim at some framework to, you know, as a model. And part of what they do is they had their podcast and that's how they got a lot of work. So I'm like, I'll try that. And I did, and it worked. And so I was able to, and still to this day, I, I, that's part of it, you know, have a podcast invite. It's all about B2B marketing. And that allowed me to easily connect with and talk to a lot of pe people in B2B marketing, you know, heads of marketing, VP of marketing. And I get to know them, which was really good. I mean, I got to learn a lot about marketing. So that was helpful. And also having in-depth conversations with these people all about who they are, what they do, what their struggles are. And mm -hmm. I found ways to bring up podcasting. Well, have you ever thought about podcasting? Oh, yeah, actually. And that worked. And it started to get me some clients. It worked up to, to a certain extent, you know. Um, but that was one thing I did. And LinkedIn started to play into it a little bit more. And I'm at a point now where my focus is really on, we, we do B2B podcasting still, but I'm kind of rolling out this new thing that we do. I call it the interview engine. And it's where essentially it's a content creation process for like super busy CEOs, let's say, or really any, like a solopreneur, anyone running a business that's like, I need to, I'm on social media. That's a big part of my marketing strategy but I just don't have the time or wherewithal to create good enough content. I'm, you know, either I don't do it or I do it sporadically or I just churn shit out using AI and it's like, it's not doing a lot. It just, it's the same as everyone else. So our, my solution is, well, Hey, I'll interview, give me 60 minutes once a month. I'll interview you on anything you want to talk about. And I'm like a professional interviewer, you know, and I'll get the best out of you and your unscripted best. And then I'll turn that into a whole bunch of short video content and written content if you want it. And boom, for 60 minutes of your time, you'll get at least a month's worth of content ready to go. That's the service. So I spent. I think I'm going to take you up on that service. Okay. Well, hey, let's. Like, I, I, Cause I kept think I keep thinking about like, what am I going to do from a business development standpoint? Um, and one of them that keeps coming back to me is more video. I got to get yeah. more video out there because, you know, we're in a digital age now. It's not the yeah. analog age where I can go in and shake somebody's hand. And when you're online, how do you get someone to to trust you and feel like they know you? Yeah. I mean, it's it's video, right? Right. Short video clips. I mean, there's 
and what I like about this is that it's because if you if you're in that place where you're like, well, I you know I need some video or just something like you can hire other people to do it for you, but then it's not really you is you know it's other people writing it and it's just not then it's just churning it out. But video too, it's not so easy. Like, what are you supposed to do? Am I supposed to just turn on the camera and like talk into it? Like, what do I talk about? Should I have a script and read that? Like, well, that's not great. Mm -hmm. It looks like I'm reading a script. I, and it's just a lot of fucking work. You have to write the script or you have to figure out what to talk about and edit it and all this stuff. And if you're trying to run a business at the same time, it's like, damn, that's just don't have time for that. So that's where I saw a need. And I'm like, Hey, I'll just do that for you. And it'll be you. It's not me. It'll be you in your own words. I'm just your producer yeah, keying you up. The interview part, that's the key. Yeah. Is that, like you said, you're a professional interviewer and you can create that natural organic response versus, because I've tried doing like the scripted stuff and yeah. it just doesn't feel right. It's really hard. You have to be really good at performing a script. Some people can do that. And some people are good at just talking extemporaneously and just being awesome and charismatic on camera. I'm not. We can't all be Brad Pitt. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's, that's a very specific skill, right? But everyone is capable with the right partner of just having a conversation, just like we're doing right now, right? You don't even have to think mm -hmm. about it that much. It's just decide, okay, here's the stuff that I'm want to talk about that my audience cares about and in the hands of the working with the right kind of producer who, who knows how to interview you and just it'll just come out without really overthinking it and that's it and then a week or so later boom here's 10 video clips of you being awesome on camera and just being yourself and talking about the things that you really know about and care about you know yeah that's so anyway i bring that up though only to say that that that's where my focus is these days in terms of marketing that. And what it boils down to for me, what I've kind of concluded is that the single best marketing tool, tactic, strategy, whatever you want to call it that I have is finding a way just to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people, not to sell them, just to get to know people as fellow entrepreneurs or whatever, or just fellow marketers and just tell each other's stories because inevitably there it's like, well, what do you do? I'm, I'm genuinely interested to know. And you hear that and you're like, oh, that's cool. Interesting. That's your story. And then inevitably like, well, what do you do? Well, I do this. I do this interview thing. And if you approach that in the right spirit with genuinely just a chat, you know, Hey, it, and if the person says like, oh, you know what? I think I might want to do that. Or I know some people that could benefit from that awesome great right mm -hmm. and if not also awesome great like the point isn't to to land the fish you know or to hook people in it really genuinely is just i want to get to know people who i think i think they could benefit from this but it's not about me hard selling it's really just gay, on a personal human level how do they react if it's something that they find value in, they'll let me, they'll tell me, they'll let me know. Yeah. And if not, then they won't. And that's all. And, and it's a win no matter what, because getting to know people and if you're selective about who you're talking to, maybe they refer people to you, but it's always a win no matter what. Yeah.
That's so huge because people are just sick of sales pitches these days. They're sick of the hooks being thrown at them and yeah. having to dodge hooks every day. <laughs> or or um, avoid the pitch slap. Like, whoa, you got to block that stuff. That's right. That's right. And so I'm, I'm actually thinking about, you know, what, what your process was as a freelancer. And you sort of had this, you know, built-in community that you knew in kind of your field, right? Where you can get a project and then you're a good writer. So people that appreciate good writing reach out to you and it sort of grew organically. Whereas like with what you're doing now with this new business, you, you have to, it's almost like you're kind of recreating that sort of community like around your podcast, around your your social media content. That's what we're trying to do is we're trying to create these communities where we can grow by word of mouth again. That's a great way of putting it. Right. That's that's right. It's kind of, when I was freelancer, it was almost more like being a local business because a lot of my, I had some gigs that were not local to Bloomington or the university where I was, but a lot of them were, you know? And so I could just, word got around. But what I do now is completely remote and I do have one local client actually, but it, it, it's, there's not business for me here in my hometown. Not really. Um, at least I haven't had much success in drumming it up. It's more just out in the world and opportunity is unlimited, which on the one hand is amazing, but there's a lot of legwork you need to do. Like you say, like if you're trying to sell to everybody, then you ultimately are selling to nobody really. Right. You, right. You're exactly right. I think you put it very well. So much of, of it is all around gathering unto yourself a community, or actually that's the wrong way to put it, creating a community of which you can be a part and contribute to and add value to, right? That's what it's all about. And that first, and, and your primary motivation is not, I need to find a whole bunch of people I can sell my shit to. Not at right. all, right? It's that hopefully is the outcome eventually of all the work you do to connect in a genuine way with people that make sense to connect to. And sure, part there's always some part of it about growing your business, right? You just don't want to randomly connect with literally anyone because that can kind of be a waste of time. But people that you can offer value to, that's really the way to put it, right? People you can help, even if it's just a word of advice, Right. And naturally, those are going to be people who are in your ballpark, right? Or kind of in your realm that at the, you know, and, and they, at this point, they might just need, just want to get to know you or connect with someone who's kind of does a similar thing, a similar enough that it's just cool to talk to them. And, and, and you can help them even just by like, have you ever thought of this? If you do that enough, I think, and then of course, this, is, this idea is not original to me at all, right? Like we all are coming to realize this. If you do enough of that in a genuine way, then it will pay you back because now you are part of a real community of people who actually kind of care about you and are willing to go out of their way to help a little bit and like maybe send you a referral, you know? Not because there's something in it for them, really. It's more just, oh, I, you know, Brian, like, he's a great guy. You know, we, I know him as a real person. We both mm -hmm. like football, you know, like, and he's, of course, you're awesome at what you do in your business, but that's, it's not even that. It's not like, is Brian good enough to send? Of course you are, you know? It's more just, I, I have a personal stake in your success now. Because you're a person, yeah. a real person that I know. 
and it would bring me much joy to see you succeed. You know, I think that's exactly that's what it's all about. And if you can be in those communities and you have to actively seek them out and actively participate in them and you have to have that spirit and that mindset, I have come around to think that's kind of all that matters. Like that's the ticket. Just you, you got to stop thinking in terms of just dollars, like just in yeah. terms of what's going to generate revenue, you know, and that's such a key point because I think with podcasting in particular, I think a lot of people get into it thinking like, this is going to be a sales tool. This is going to start driving a bunch of referrals for my business. Yeah, maybe in three years if you stick with it long yeah. enough. But initially, it's about building a community, right? If you can 100%. have a podcast that represents something, serves a particular type of a person, and then you can get guests to come on, you know, that, that support that vision and message of the show, then, you know, you're, you're going to kind of get this, like sort of the, the philosophy with this show, right, is to get this idea out there that you don't need as much as we've been brainwashed to think that we need to to become free from the corporate world. And yeah. we want to serve people who are who want to unshackle themselves. And so the more people I can get on this show to help raise awareness of this and and spread the sort of the message, so to speak, the rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. So it's just it's all it's 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 finding a community online, working together towards something and and everybody's going to benefit from it. It's it's getting away from the zero sum concept to more of an infinite sum concept, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I, I think that's a very good way to put it. And, and the phrase used before, you know, the rising tide that lifts all boats. It's, yeah, it's not zero sum. It's not, I win, you lose, or I can only win if you lose. Right. It's easy mm -hmm. to think that way. And I think that was my mindset actually starting out. Like one thing I've learned, so it went start, and I mean, starting out with my business now. It was very, okay. my mindset was very much like, okay, there are these other podcasting companies out there. Those are my rivals. I'm going to kind of take from them what I can secretly and hope they sort of don't notice that I'm just literally copying all their shit and <laughs> somehow make that work. Like, you know, and I, I, I want to be very secretive about what I'm doing and not, you know, not, I don't want to give away my secret stuff as though I even have anything to really hide that anyone would find value in because all I'm doing is copying other people. So that doesn't make sense. But anyway, you know what I mean? And it kind of was yeah. like, all right, I need clients right now. How do I fucking get these people and I'll do anything and that's all that matters. So I spent a lot of time obsessing over like one prospect, someone who would show even the slightest interest. And I'd be like, okay, you know, I, I knew enough to not bombard them with emails, let's say, but like we'd have some exchange and the, like, okay, well, sure. That sounds great. Um, let me get back to you on that. And I'd be like, okay. And literally five minutes later, I checked my email, like, did they maybe get back to me <laughs> and just obsess over this one like possibility yep. and get all worked I've been up. there. And then you know, when it didn't work out and like emailing the next week, like, Hey, just checking in about that thing. And maybe, you know, and then the fucking obsessed rather than using my time to keep prospecting and keep getting out there and networking and meeting people, you know, four years later, learned all the hard way 
everything I learn is through like pain and misery. Apparently that's how I learn. <laughs> Never through just like wisdom and self-awareness. It's always like banging my head against a wall until my head explodes in bloody pieces. And I'm like, oh yeah, maybe that's not going to work anymore, dude. You're a Lions fan. You're, you're a glutton for punishment. Exactly. I've been a lifelong Lions not anymore. fan. That says a lot. It says a lot, but <laughs> you know, look. For years, and I mentioned these, this to you before we started recording, my buddies and I have a Lions podcast, and it was really a therapy session because it was our whole thing was like, why, why are we fans of this team? We, I don't get it. I'm a grown ass man. I have like children and other responsibilities. Why do I still genuinely care about the fate of this stupid team that's always going to suck? It, it was kind of that same mentality of like, you know, I just have to, I don't know, like work harder, man, or like just find one more client. I just didn't know what I was doing. And I have very much come to the moment now that what you've been describing, yes, it took me a while, a lot of pain, but I'm like, I just didn't get that before. I'm like, how am I fucking going to get, make money think- if I'm not just like finding people who are going to pay me money right now? And I didn't 100%. get that, but now I do. Now I get it. So I had that mentality too for a long time. Um, you got to try to close, you know, quote unquote, close every yeah. single person that you talk to. I've, I've shared this story before. When I first started in the financial services industry, I worked for a really large company where essentially my job was to call as many people as I can every day and try to sell as many insurance policies as I can. And they were like, if they can fog a spoon, they can be your client because you can sell them an insurance policy. And now it's like, and and so it taught me to like think in linear terms, like the more effort I put forth the you know, the, um, uh, the harder I grind and the the harder I try to close every person I talk to, the more success I'm going to have. Yeah. When the reality is it's more exponential thinking, like as an entrepreneur, just buy yourself enough time to plant the seeds and build the relationships to get that one relationship. That's just going to make return, uh, result in exponential growth. I think that's a much healthier mindset as an entrepreneur. I agree. I mean, look, I'm, I'm currently listening right now to a book called Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blunt. And it's all about prospecting, right? And his whole thesis is that the very best salespeople, the, the quote unquote superstar salespeople, they succeed because they are relentless prospectors. In other words, keeping the pipeline always as full as possible, right? And, and, I, and I, I do think that that's true. Like as if you're running a business, you, you do need to have systems and just be, be willing to put in the time and make it a priority to, in the way that best makes sense, to keep the pipeline full or else you end up like what I was with one person in your pipeline who you're hoping will pan out and and it's and nothing right. else on the horizon which is a recipe for insanity like going insane right so i do agree with that it's just but how you do it matters right that very much does not mean trying to close in the moment every single person you encounter right you because that won't work. People will not buy from you un- until they've, this is the cliche, until they've gotten to know you and like you and trust you, right? That is, at least in the B2B world, that is 100% true, right? So, and you can ruin prospects if you go too hard, 
right? Like, hi, I just met you. Want to buy my thing? Here are all the benefits. Ah, you know, whoa, dude, I don't, who are you? How do you even know if I need this? Like, you don't know. Yeah. You know, that, ha that happens all the time on LinkedIn. We were saying we're so tired of being pitched. That's what mm -hmm. we're talking about, right? The stranger yep. who's like, can I have your time to tell you about my thing? Uh, no. No, you can't. And like, I, I get it because they probably work for a company that's telling them to make 100 outbounds right. a day. And, but still, that doesn't mean that I have to respond favorably to it. Right. And the, it's a numbers game, right? They're like, well, if I do enough of these and X percent might reply and all this stuff. Okay, fine. For me, it's like, I don't want to do that. And, but, but I am realizing more and more that it can't only be, well, I'm, I'm posting every day on LinkedIn. I'm publishing a lot of content and it's good content. And I'll just let people come to me like the inbound model, right? I'll just publish everywhere consistently and it might take some time, but eventually people will just start knocking on my door. No, at least not for me. That's, there has to be a deliberate and strategic outbound strategy as well that complements that. Meaning okay. reaching out to people, you know, introducing yourself, sort of disrupting their day or whatever, but not in that super hard pitch. Hey, I just met you. Will you buy all my thing? Like that will not work, obviously not anymore. If it ever did, it works together. You need the content, you need the inbound so that there's some people who might kind of stumble upon it and be like, oh, that's cool. Maybe I want to know more, but especially when you do reach out in a strategic way, then the first thing people are going to do, of course, is, oh, what's, let me, okay, let me look at this guy's LinkedIn, what's going on there? Is he a charlatan mm -hmm. or maybe someone I might maybe be worth learning a little bit more about? Maybe, on, and if you have other channels, you know, right, you, it's good to have that content, like you were saying before, that to represent yourself online in a way that, you know, people can get to know you a little bit. And That's then, it. and then yeah. when you do make the ask of like, Hey, would you ever be, would you jump, be willing to jump on a call? I just, what you do seems cool. I read that post you had, that seems interesting. Maybe we could talk about it. Maybe you could be on my podcast. You know, if you want people to say yes, then it is good to have something out there that they can check out before they take that chance of having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So I think it matters, but that's dawned on me a lot more recently. It can't just be the content. That's a means to the end of getting people to talk to you one-on-one -on -one as two human beings. Agreed. Yeah. There's this, um, cliche that you've probably heard it and people will say, be, um, what is it? Be interested versus interesting. Mm, yeah. Have you heard that? I haven't, but which I, it's a cliche, but I, I sense. yeah, it, yeah, it totally does. Because I, I start thinking about, um, you know, historically prospecting means trying to fill a pipeline of leads that can become clients. And what I'm thinking now with the use of social media and podcasting is that, um, your pipeline is more just your community of friends. Like you, you want to try to build up as many new online friends as you can. Yeah. So then those people are going to check out the work that you're putting out into the world. They're going to jump on your profile and your profile should be a landing page that will convert people to clients if they want and need your help. So yeah, I, th I think looking at it from the human and the relationship standpoint is more important than looking at it from the transaction standpoint. For sure. And, and I but think totally agree outbound and content needs to kind of go together. They work together. And 
And as we've been saying, community is a big part of it. And I think there are different types of communities. There's different levels to it. Like the first gen community that you or I belong to, right? That to me is, I don't look at that at all as like, or not, I shouldn't say not at all, but that to me is not like, here's a pool of people I can kind of cultivate as potential clients. You know, it's really more like this, the spirit of that community is let's help each other. And this is a place I can ask questions. I can invite people onto my podcast and go on their podcast, you know, mm -hmm. and Hey, if there, if there is an opportunity to, to work together, cool. And I have done that. Like I do, I have gotten some work from that, but that's not my goal of belonging to, to our first gen community. Not really. It really is more learning from people who've been at this longer than me are better at the, at, than me or people maybe I can help in some way, you know? It really is more of that and very much secondary. Like maybe, maybe some work will come out of it, but I'm not like actively seeking that when I'm on there. You know what I mean? It's totally, that's one. And then there is like, I, and then there is more of a strategic, like, okay, I'm going to go on LinkedIn sales navigator, create a list, a manageable list of my ideal clients as best I'm able to determine that. And in a systematic way, reach out to them for just to connect at first, those who respond, nurture that a little bit to the point where can I, can we get on a call just to, and I, even when I do this, I'm like, look, I'm not pitching you. I promise this is not a pitch. I genuinely just like to get to know people, fellow entrepreneurs and have a chat and they're not stupid. Like they'll go to my LinkedIn and be like, okay, this guy's a content guy, interview engine, like, you know. Anyone who's doing any of this, of course, is running a business and has some interest in, you know, that's ultimately kind of what it's all about. But, okay, but as long as they feel like there's something in it for them and they're not just going to be subjected to a pitch about something they either don't want or, you know, haven't ever considered. And so I'm like super upfront about that. I'm like, I am, I promise this isn't a pitch. I just like to get to know people. Are you up for a, a chat sometime? I'd like to get to know you. And some people yeah. say, yeah. And then those who say yes, follow up and actually do it. And so like, that's, that is a systematic strategy to have like a goal. Like I'm going to do a certain amount of numbers of that outreach that I hope will translate into X percentage connecting and X percentage getting on a call, you know, and X percentage that the connection is good and there is actually a need and we end up working together. Like. But I've come around to the idea that as long as I'm doing that in an honest and open and straightforward way and not trying to trick anyone, you know, then it's all good. Like, and in fact, that's just good business. Like you have to have some system like that if you want to grow your business. Yeah. So I've, I've been looking at it as, listen, I've got an ideal client. I've put a lot of work into tailoring my service for a specific problem that that ideal client has. So now when I'm reaching out to people, there's a reason for it. Like, listen, yeah. I'm trying to help people that are like you. My content is designed for you. Check it out. There's no pressure. Yeah. But then I'll even say like, hey, I'd love to get your feedback because I want to make this service even yeah. more valuable to people like you. So, and it's amazing when you um, approach somebody as a student, Yes. You know, you're trying to learn from them how much more receptive they are. So this is all uh, uh, good stuff here, Jeremy. I yeah. appreciate all your insights. But if um, if people want to 
find out more information on you. Obviously, you're on LinkedIn, Jeremy Share, but where else can they go? Yeah. Um, well, I'm happy to share my email. It's uh, Jeremy at Conversa.com. That's the name of my company. It's C-O-N-N, Versa, two N's. Um, and you can go to Conversa.com, of course, and then you'll uh, find links there where you can connect with me. It was, that's probably the best way. Those two cool. things. Sounds good, my friend. Well, I enjoyed the chat as always, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you so much, man. This was awesome. You bet. Take care. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.